we're, we're looking at Psalm 146, and last week we were looking at Psalm 1. And what I wanted to do this evening is to just think a little bit about the flow of the book of Psalms, where they begin, how they progress, and uh, where the book ends. Um, I've got this strange habit every so often of um, wanting to go onto YouTube and find videos of uh, ship crashes. Um, so when a ship crashes into a harbour or into another ship, there's just something that really grips me about it. And, and there's something that really grips me about these huge ships, just huge machines traveling in in the direction that they're traveling there's nothing that's going to stop them um maybe you, maybe you're into trains uh, another mode of transport if you see a, a huge train a huge locomotive it's, it's a powerful thing and there's nothing that's stopping it. it it's it's moving towards its destination um there's something about it that's just awe-inspiring you know that you don't want to mess with one of those things it's going to get where it's going, uh, where it's planning to go, and nothing is going to stand in its way. And in a similar fashion to a steam engine or, or a ship traveling towards its destination relentlessly, the Bible maps out for us God's planned destination of the whole of history. History has an end point. And everything is moving towards that end point. And that end point is God's people gathered together, united in one purpose, praising God. Uh, this is where we are heading. Uh, this is where the And this is the flow of the book of Psalms. Um, we're looking at Psalm 146. Just keep that open if you if you've got a Bible. Um, recently, I, I preached through the the book of Psalms. I didn't preach through it uh, one Psalm at a time, um, but there are five books of uh, Psalms, five miniature books within the book of Psalms. Um, and so you get uh, the first book beginning with Psalm one, the second book beginning with uh, Psalm 42 and 43, uh, the third book, Psalm 73, the fourth book beginning with Psalm 90, and then Psalm 107 through to the end of Psalms is book five. So there are these five books that make up the book of Psalms. And then the book as a whole ends with five Psalms of praise, the Hallelujah Psalms ending with this great declaration if you look down at psalm 150 over the page in the last verse of the of the book let everything that has breath praise the lord praise the lord and so it ends with these five hallelujah psalms and psalm 146 is the first of these five psalms and so you can see something already, perhaps as you're thinking about those psalms, you can see something of the flow of the book of Psalms. The flow of the book of Psalms is to move through every peak and through every trough and to arrive at this great crescendo of praise. Now, the book of Psalms then begins at, at Psalm 1 that we looked at last week, the introduction to the book. Blessed is the person who rejects the life of the wicked 
and instead makes the law of the Lord their delight. Blessed is the person who does not walk, stand, sit in the way of the sinner, but instead walks in obedience to God's law. This is where blessing is to be found and delighting in God himself. And the flow of the book of Psalms moves beyond this and we get to Psalm 42. You know Psalm 42, you'll know the words, if not the reference. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why? Are you so disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I will yet praise him. It's a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of great sorrow. And yet the book of Psalms moves beyond that. It moves through that. And many other psalms of lament it moves beyond and it moves through along the way to Psalm 73. It might not be as familiar, but you'll still be familiar perhaps with one or two of the verses in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 uh, is all about a psalmist who says that he, uh, his feet had nearly slipped. It says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped because I envied the wicked. It's a psalm really of honest reflection, a psalm. Uh, reflecting on jealousy that the psalmist experiences and feels towards those who really couldn't give two hoots about God and about walking according to his law, as Psalm 1 outlines. Uh, The psalmist looks over the fence, as it were, he looks at unbelievers around him and thinks they seem to get along just fine. Uh, But then there's a hinge in Psalm 73. It might even be a hinge for the whole book of Psalms. Some people think it is a turning point for the whole book. And the psalmist says, but then I entered the sanctuary of God, the temple of God, and I understood their final destiny. He's saying, then I entered the temple, at the temple, the place where God's presence dwelt. And I realized that while those who couldn't give two hoots about God seem to get along just fine here and now, they do not have the assurance of God's presence with them. The psalmist says, yet I am always with you, God. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. You see, the flow of the book of Psalms, the flow of the book uh, moves beyond Psalm 73 and it it arrives at Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses. Uh, And Moses reflects in that psalm on how frail we are as human beings. And yet how in the face of our frailty, in light of our frailty, God is still faithful to us. Moses writes, Lord, You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. We're frail, but we're safe in the Lord. And the flow of the book of Psalms moves beyond Psalm 90 and it comes to Psalm 107, a psalm that waxes lyrical about the great redemption of God. And so you can read in Psalm 107, some 
wandered in the desert, not finding a city to dwell in. They cried out and God delivered them. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Some were prisoners suffering in chains. They cried out and God delivered them. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and they cried out and God delivered them. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. Uh, I remember um, somebody preaching on the, on Psalm 107 and the title of their sermon was, there are many ways to be lost, uh, but only one way to be delivered. And we see that in Psalm 107. Uh, it says some became, uh, some were merchants on the mighty waters. The Lord spoke and stirred up a storm. They cried out, God delivered them. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love. It's a psalm about the staggering love of God seen in, in the way that he redeems those who cry out to him. And so the flow of the book of Psalms, it moves along. And then we get to Psalm 146, the front door to these five psalms of praise. Praise the Lord. It moves through peaks and troughs to the final destination. God's people praising God. It, it moves through the high points, through the psalms of thanksgiving and remembrance. And it moves through the low points, the many psalms of lament and of sorrow and of envy and of human frailty. It moves to the final destination, the praise of God. You see, what this flow of the book of Psalms teaches us is that Psalms of lament don't win the day. Psalms of great sorrow don't win the day. Psalms of great struggle with jealousy, with frailty, they don't win the day. Instead, they all give way to praise. And so it is with the life of the believer. In our lives, we move through peaks and troughs to praise God. We move through times of sorrow, through times of struggle to praise God. Uh, for, for us, for the Christian, there will still be times of lament but it will not win the day. There will be times of sorrow and sorrow will not win the day. There will be times when we're envious of the lives of unbelievers, but envy will not win the day because the prevailing song for the Christian is a song of praise. And that song will endure for all eternity. Uh, this is why we were made. We were made to praise God. This is the great purpose that we have. We exist to praise God. And this is the great destination that we are moving towards, that all of history is moving towards relentlessly. And Psalm 146 shows us that praise is not just what will be characteristic of us when we're gathered together with the multitude of God's people. 
but it is something also that ought to be characteristic of us here and now. So in verse two, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The psalm is talking about our lives here and now. Praising God is the purpose of our lives here and now. Our lives then ought to follow the flow of the book of Psalms. We ought to be moving through at every peak and every low point to praise God. It is true that we will have seasons in life when we're camped out in Psalm 42 territory. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Uh, We'll have seasons when we don't feel like God is particularly near to us. Seasons of frustration and seasons of struggle. And we'll lament those circumstances as we endure them. And that's okay. But there's a sense in which it's not okay to stay there. We need to move. We need to be on the move as the book of Psalms moves from lament to praise. We'll have seasons in life when we're green with envy at the lives of unbelievers. We'll wonder whether it's even worth it living a life following Jesus. And we mustn't stay in that place. We need to be on the move and move towards the place of praise. And so the flow of the book of Psalms ought to be the constant flow of the believer's life from lament to praise, from envy to praise, from struggle to praise through every high point and every low point to praise God. And so the question really becomes, how? How do we move from seasons of lament, from seasons of envy, from seasons of struggle to praising God? Well, look down at verse three. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. Uh, When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. Um, These verses, verse three and four, show us that praise is is more than mere words. Uh, Psalm 146 swiftly moves from its opening, praise the Lord, I will praise the Lord, I will sing praise to my God, it repeats, to the next line, which is, do not put your trust in princes. Praise and trust are intricately connected. Uh, We praise who we trust in. Or when the person we trust in lets us down, we do the opposite of praise. We grumble. Praise and trust are intricately connected. Uh, This psalm was originally written for Israel. It was almost certainly written for Israel as they came out of exile in Babylon. They had broken their covenant with God. They'd rebelled against him and he had kept the terms of the covenant. And now they're coming out of exile. And here's this psalm that would be sung when they gathered for worship. Do not put your trust in princes. 
that had been a huge snare for Israel. Uh, In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the elders of Israel went to Samuel, God's prophet, and they said to him, give us a king to lead us. And we're told there that their demand displeased Samuel. He prayed to God and God said, listen to them. It is not you that they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. Samuel warned them about what they were asking for, but they didn't listen. We want a king over us, they said. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out to fight our battles. Having a king was not an evil thing. In fact, back in Deuteronomy 17, Moses had said to the Israelites about to go into the promised land, when you appoint a king... Be sure to appoint over you the king, the Lord your God chooses. But Israel had lost sight of that. They lost sight of the second part of that. They wanted a king to fight their wars, a king like the other nations. They weren't interested in a a king after God's own heart, a king that God would appoint. And here they are, they're coming out of exile and the psalmist warns, do not put your trust in princes. Do not trust in the next king that's around the corner. Do not say, oh, once we get a better king, we'll be fine. What Israel had done is they had taken something that was to be a blessing from God and they had put it in the place of God. They had put their hopes of salvation on an earthly king, and it had starved them of praising God. Because we praise or we grumble about that which we trust in. Uh, Who is it for you? Where have you functionally placed your trust? Uh, You're in the place of lament. You're feeling far from God. Who are you trusting in to bring you to the place of praise? Or you're in the place of envy. You're jealous of the lives of unbelievers. Who are you trusting in to bring you to the place of praise? You're struggling with feeling the weight of your frailty. You feel fragile. You're easily anxious and constantly worried. Who are you trusting in to bring you to the place of praise? You think to yourself, oh, if only I had a pastor like that church had. Uh, If only my pastor would do this. If only my elders would do that. Then I would be stirred to praise God. And do you think to yourself, if only I was in a better church. If only I had someone to talk to in the church. If only people in the church were more empathetic towards my struggles, then I would no longer be frustrated and struggling, but would be praising God. Now, pastors are a gift from God. Elders are a gift from God. Fellow Christians are a gift from God. But they're not there to save us. They're not our redeemer. Look at verse five. Verse five says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Um, 
how do you follow the flow of the book of Psalms and move through every high point and every low point to praise God? You trust in the Lord. You don't trust in anyone else to deliver you, but you trust in the Lord. You might say, that's all well and good, but I'm not sure my faith is strong enough. I'm not sure I have the right level of trust in God. Uh, I don't feel like I'm able to pull my socks up, I'm able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and stop trusting in other things and start trusting in God to deliver me from this season of sorrow, from this season of struggle, from this season of dryness. Well, it's really not about who you are and how strong your faith is. It's all about who God is and how strong he is. Now look at verse seven. See, uh, well, let's go from verse six. Well, verse five, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord is God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This God that we read of is your God. He is merciful and he is powerful. And he is able to redeem from every season we experience in life. Every season of lament, of struggle, of envy. He is able to bring us through and bring us through to praise him. I wonder whether those verses we just read sound a little bit familiar to you. We read in verse 7 that he gives food to the hungry. We read in the New Testament, don't we, in John 6, that Jesus feeds the 5,000. In fact, we read in, in the Gospels him doing several uh, miracles that involve feeding people. Uh, we read in verse 8 that the Lord gives sight to the blind. How often do we read in the Gospels of Jesus giving sight to the blind, healing the blind? I read of the Lord lifting up those who are bowed down. Jesus says, doesn't he, in Matthew 6, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Lifting up those who are bowed down. I read in verse 8 that the Lord loves the righteous. I love in, in, John, uh, in John's gospel, in John 11, how we see Jesus love. For Lazarus, for Mary and Martha, we see him in John 21, his love for Peter. Jesus loves. Now we read that the Lord watches over the alien, the sojourner, and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Luke tells us of Jesus passing through the town called Nain and um, there's the funeral of the son of a widow, the only son of a widow taking place. And he, uh, his heart, it, it says, went out to this widow and he healed her son. He 
cares for her, cares for the widow. We read in, in Psalm 146 that the Lord frustrates the way of the wicked, the way of the wicked will perish. Jesus in his death and resurrection has conquered evil for all time. And so this is your Lord. This is the king who reigns forever that verse 10 tells us about. The Lord will reign forever. This is him, Jesus, and he reigns for you. And so put your hope in him and make him your help. Praise him. How do we move towards praise? Well, the answer really lies in the definition of praise. Praise is more than mere words. Praise is inward delight that is expressed outwardly. So to praise God is to delight in him in your heart, as we read in Psalm 1, and to give that delight expression. And so praise is more than mere words, isn't it? In fact, it's one of God's indictments against Israel. Uh, in Isaiah, in Isaiah 29, he says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They were verbally giving out words of praise, but they weren't spoken from hearts full of praise. There was a disconnect because praise is inner delight expressed outwardly, and the two must go together. Uh, we can be guilty of that same sin, can't we, as Israel in Isaiah 29. Words of praise towards God spoken from hearts that are really far from him. And we can also be guilty of the opposite error of thinking that uh, relationship with God is to be enjoyed inwardly, uh, but there's no need to express our praise outwardly. And our faith, when we think like that, can become private and introspective and it's starved of its expression that it needs. And we can tend towards that quite easily. But that's not who we are to be. We're to be a people of praise. And we must, if we are to be a people of praise, delight in God and give that delight expression. We must trust in him above all else and let that trust give its expression in praise. And so our lives then are to be a microcosm of all of history. As all history moves relentlessly towards the praise of God, our lives are to be in miniature form, moving relentlessly towards praising God.